Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Vice Guide to Right Now, your inside look into the best of vice. It's Monday, November 12th. I'm Sophie Casas. Today we're talking about big oil and how the oil industry spent $31 million to kill a climate change measure in the midterm elections. In the midterms, the state of Washington which is about as environmentally progressive a place you'll find in the U.S., rejected an ambitious plan to fight climate change. A ballot initiative known as 1631 would have pumped about $1 billion per year into non-climate-destroying investments. And the plan was to raise that money by charging carbon producers $15 per ton and increasing that tax by $2 a year. But in the end, 1631 was defeated. So I sat down with journalist Jeff Dembicki to find out why. So Jeff, you wrote a piece about Washington State's 1631 ballot initiative, which lost in the midterms. Let's start at the beginning. What was 1631? So basically, 1631 was this plan that would have really put Washington on the vanguard of fighting climate change in the U.S. The way it would have done this is by putting a price on the carbon emissions that polluters put into the air. So this price was going to start at about $15 per ton. It was going to go up by about $2 a year. And the goal of raising this money which would have amounted to about a a billion dollars per year when the initiative first started. The goal of raising this money was to take that revenue and invest it in things that help fight climate change. So this, this could be renewable energy, this could be energy efficiency. But what was interesting about the initiative is that it really privileged social impacts as well. So some of the money would go to retrain fossil fuel workers who lost their jobs to work in cleaner industries. So overall, you could think of it as sort of a Green New Deal, a big chunk of money going towards the low carbon transition. Yeah. And the carbon producers that you're talking about, it was really targeting like these massive big oil corporations, right? I mean, definitely they would have felt some of the burden from that. Um, it, the price was going to be applied across the, the entire economy of the state with, with a few exemptions. But basically, yeah, the goal was to get money from any carbon that was released in the air and, and to turn carbon into a liability that would hopefully encourage people to start releasing less of it and at the same time raise money that could help quickly transition the state away from industries that release carbon. 
And the initiative had quite a bit of support. Can you tell us who endorsed it and kind of funded the campaign around it? And also, you know, who were the groups of people on the ground organizing? Yeah, so what what was interesting about 1631 is is that it had pretty wide buy-in across the state. So there were about 600 groups and businesses that supported it. And they ranged from labor unions and, and tribal nations, low-income communities. The reason that the initiative got so much support is because various groups who would be affected by a price on carbon and who would benefit from low carbon investments were brought into the process right from the very beginning. And, and so there, there were groups across the state that were, were very invested in, in seeing it succeed. And, and then you also had some billionaire backing from people like Michael Bloomberg and, and Bill Gates and Pearl Jam eventually jumped in as well and said, you know, this, this is something that's, that's really important for Washington and we hope it passes. So it had the backing of Michael Bloomberg and Bill Gates and millions of dollars around it. And still this initiative didn't pass. So I'm assuming that there was more money from the opposition. So who was the opposition and why was it so strong? So the, the results of the vote, which, which were that about 56% of Washington voters voted against the initiative, those results were, were kind of surprising to organizers and, and to people who supported 1631. Initial polling had suggested that the policy was quite popular across the state. And so um, on, on the election night, I, I called up Nick Abraham. He's an organizer with the Yes on 1631 campaign. And he was um, at a, a celebration party in, in a Seattle hotel. That's how it had been described. Obviously, he wasn't very happy when I called him up. And, and I said, how is it that in such an environmentally progressive state like Washington with buy-in from hundreds of groups and, and with these billionaires supporting it, how did this initiative fail? And he said, it's, it's simple. The oil industry bought this election. And, you know, he's, he's kind of making a, a legitimate point because the opposition to 1631 had about $30 million backing it. And this was the most money that had ever been spent in Washington opposing a ballot initiative. And about 99% of that funding came from oil and gas companies. And so I think you, you could make a legitimate point that the oil and gas companies got what they wanted on Tuesday night by fighting against 1631. So $30 million went into the opposition campaign. What did that campaign look like? What were they messaging to voters? Yeah, so I, I called up a spokesperson for the No campaign, and I said, okay, what, what is this campaign? Who Who is a part of it? And And she said, oh, well, you know, this is, this is a, a grassroots effort. We have, we have groups all across the state. They're, they're consumers, they're workers. They're really worried that 1631 is going to raise the price on everything. And Washington is already super expensive state. And the no people that we're reaching out to, you know, they're, they're worried about a loss of jobs. And so I said, okay, but how come in, in that case, if, if this is a grassroots 
initiative? Why why is this sponsored by the the Western States Petroleum Association? And and why are the the main funders of this, you know, some of the the biggest oil and gas companies in the US. And 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 the spokesperson said, well, you know what, it, it shouldn't be a surprise. Oil and gas companies are supporting this. We have a lot of business in the state of Washington and we think the the initiative could could threaten that. So it's interesting because in your piece you explain that there were even big oil companies from outside the state of Washington, like Coke Industries, that also put money into this campaign, which contradicts that response. Can you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah, so there there was an immediate sort of financial hit that some of the oil companies in the state would face. It was estimated that Washington's oil refineries would potentially have to pay $83 million dollars Per year, so for companies like BP, obviously they don't want that, and, and documents show that BP got hundreds of its own workers to to work on the no campaign. But I I think there was there's a larger strategic consideration happening right here, and the reason companies like Coke Industries got involved is that they were really worried that if Washington were to pass this price. And to become a leader on climate change in the U.S. during the Donald Trump era, that this could potentially inspire other states to adopt these policies, and then pretty soon you have policies that are charging for carbon pollution all across the U.S., and this could ultimately threaten the existence of the oil and gas industry. Has there ever been a carbon price ballot initiative like this before in Washington State or anywhere else? No. There, there have been carbon prices more generally passed in the U.S. California has a cap-and-trade program that's a bit different than what was being proposed in Washington. But what made Washington's so unique is that it, it basically was a grassroots effort to pass this thing on a single vote. And so you had groups across the state, along with those billionaires that we mentioned, coming together and saying, you know, this, this is something that that people really want, and we're going to put it to a vote, we're going to put it to a test. So in a sense, they weren't just trying to pass a carbon policy. This was about building the power of regular people and and groups in opposition to some of the larger corporate forces in America. And so I, I think that also scared a company like Coke Industries, because they could see if all of these progressive groups are able to come together and to get this initiative passed democratically, then then that would start making progressive forces potentially a lot more powerful in America. Yeah. And the thing about climate change is it's an issue with a very loud ticking clock. I mean, it's like the longer we wait, the more implausible it becomes to really fight it in the ways that people want to fight it right now. And so one thing I'm curious about is like this vote showed that a super aggressive action against climate change can fail in in a state as progressive on this issue as Washington. And I'm just curious what you think the path forward is now for these organizers, particularly while Trump is in office. Yeah, I mean, it was it was super disappointing to a lot of people that 
even Washington couldn't pass an aggressive climate plan because it, it sort of suggested, well, if, if they can't do it here, then, then who can? And part of the problem, as we discussed, was that oil companies got involved and gave tens of millions of dollars. But I don't think that's the whole story either, because the oil companies were deliberately sort of targeting concerns that people had about climate change that have already existed for a number of years. And polling done of people in Washington and across the U.S. suggests that people do care about climate change. Majorities think it's dangerous, that time is ticking down, and they want something done about it. But then you ask them, will climate change impact your life directly? And majorities of people, including in Washington, say that it won't. So it's, it's this weird thing where you know there's this big, scary, dangerous thing happening, but you think that it won't affect you personally. And that makes it harder to, to get people to make sacrifices to take on the problem. And so that's the spot that the oil and gas companies directed all of their energy and messaging. They said, if you pass this thing, it's going to raise the cost of living. Your family is going to have to spend hundreds of dollars a year. And I, I think a lot of people heard that message and thought, you know, I care about climate change, but in the end, I don't think it's going to affect me that much and I'm not prepared to pay for it. And is that true? I mean, how much would the cost of living go up with 1631? The oil and gas companies ran ads saying that it would have added about $440 a year to the average household's costs. There were other economists and, and independent experts who had put the annual cost closer to about $100 or $300. But I, I think the important thing is that it's, it's not really the, the amount of money that matters. It's just this sense that you're going to have to pay in order to do something about climate change. And Washington right now is, is becoming more and more expensive, like a lot of places around the U.S. And just this sense that there would be one more fee on top of everything else, that the cost of living is getting even more intense, I think persuaded a lot of people that this wasn't worthwhile. Yeah. Well, my last question is just, what is this one initiative in Washington state tell us about the climate change fight more broadly? Um, what can we look out for moving forward? I think what it really tells us is that the, the fight on climate change to get things like 1631 passed is not happening in isolation. I think it, it, it fits into a broader political dynamic in the Trump era. So what was really interesting when you looked at the voting results of it is that most of the support for 1631 came from Seattle and the surrounding area. You know, this is dense urban area with, with many people of, of diverse backgrounds who hold progressive views. So those people came out largely in favor of 1631. And then where you had a lot of the opposition was in more conservative rural areas. And that's really what we saw in the midterms overall, sort of these these urban and suburban areas becoming more progressive, pushing further to the left. And then this, this rural conservative population listening to Trump, supporting a much more right-wing conservative message and, and sort of digging in against any 
progressive transformative change. So as as we move forward, um, the fights over the things we need to to fight climate change are going to continue to to fit into this dynamic, and they're going to struggle with the same polarization that we see in other areas right now. Make sure to read Jeff's full article at vice.com. That's it for now. Thanks so much for listening. And tune in again on Wednesday for another Vice Guide to Right Now. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade.